Flexibility is great. That's why there's yoga. Flexibility for your insurance coverage is great too. That's why there's United Healthcare Insurance Plans. Underwritten by Golden Rule Insurance Company, United Healthcare Insurance Plans offer flexible, budget-friendly coverage for medical, vision, dental, and more. One of these plans may be right for you if you're, say, between jobs, coming off your parents' plan, turning a side hustle into a full hustle, or even missed open enrollment. Want more flexibility? Find out more about United Healthcare Insurance Plans at uh1.com. We live in a world where the news is at our fingertips, where we're one click or swipe away from the latest headlines. But how often do we stop swiping and scrolling and just listen? It's the difference between knowing what's in the headlines and understanding how it got there. I'm Malika Bilal, and this is The Take, Al Jazeera's daily news podcast, where we bring you the context and the people behind the global stories that matter. Subscribe wherever you listen to podcasts. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Squarespace.com. Make your next move, build your next website. Go to squarespace.com and enter the offer code CanadaLand and get 10% off of your first purchase plus a free domain. Also, everybody, before we begin, this is the time of the year where we ask you to tell us a little bit about yourself so we could find sponsors that actually have products that you might want to hear about. And the way that we figure that out is by asking you to fill out a survey there is the possibility of winning a $100 Amazon gift card. Really, you're going to do this as a favor to us if you do it. Uh, hope that you do. Please help us out. Go to podsurvey.com slash CanadaLand. That's podsurvey.com slash CanadaLand. We want to know who you are. It'll only take you a minute. Thank you very much. JJ McCullough. Hey. Writer and cartoonist, most recently for the Washington Post and uh, for CNN denounced by the Quebec legislature for your recent Washington Post article. <laughs> yep, in an, in an article that uh, noted how uh, journalists are often denounced by Quebec politicians for saying uh, controversial things. I hope you sent them roses for that. I know I would have. Welcome back to Canada Land. <laughs> Thanks for having me back. We're going to talk about refugees crossing the border illegally into Canada, where you're going to talk about Milo. And uh, I don't mean to shock you, JJ, but I have photo evidence there was a guy in a kilt giving the Hunger Games salute at Ezra Levant's recent rally in Toronto, uh, which is really just confusing, so we're going to talk about that as well. This episode of Canada Land Shortcuts is brought to you by Brendan P., Alex Bryant, Eric, Lucy Rose, Lisa Sheldrick, The Heidian Way, Karen Suzuki, and Paul Creighton. Paul, why did you decide to be awesome? Because you and your team go places others don't go in your investigations, asking harder questions and often challenging the answers. I hear things on Canada land that I don't hear anywhere else. And once again, this episode is brought to you by Squarespace. I don't know what you use to power your website, and I'm, I'm, I'm not, I'm not going to ask you, but I'm going to suggest to you that Squarespace is a wonderful solution, especially for somebody who has uh, you know visual materials to share like yourself, because beautiful designers put Squarespace together. And all you need to do is pick a template that works for you and plug in your own stuff and you're off you're off and running and they support the thing, they update it, there's nothing ever to patch, it's great for e-commerce. You can tackle your next move right now. Whether you're hoping to start a business, change careers, or launch a new creative project, Squarespace gives you the ability to create an online platform from which to make your next big idea known to the world. Start your free trial today at squarespace.com. Use the offer code CanadaLand to get 10% off of your first purchase, plus a free domain. 
right, JJ, I don't know if you saw this really beautiful photograph that I think went viral around the world, but especially here in Canada, of this lantern-jawed Dudley Do-Right Mountie. He, he had a big smile on his face, and he was holding up a toddler and, and carrying this toddler from evil Trump America onto sanctuary soil of uh, Canadian territory as this family was crossing the border. I didn't catch so much uh, sharing of the next bunch of photographs that showed the family being put into handcuffs as uh, the family was sent off to detention, as thousands of refugee claimants have been held into detention in Canada. What did you make of this uh, celebration of this, this Canadian idea of our of our virtue and, and <laughs> bringing bring all these refugees in? Well, I'm, I'm glad you're you're framing it that way because that's exactly how it has been framed. You know, it's that sort of evil Trump's hellscape America. Sort of these doe-eyed uh, refugees are just fleeing into the great utopia that is that is Canada. I mean, it's it's quite remarkable just how deficient, accurate reporting has been on this phenomenon in favor of you know sort of molding the facts to fit a, a sort of flattering narrative that I think a lot of Canadians want to believe. What seems to be happening, from what I've been able to research and actually looking back in in stories previously uh, reporting on a similar phenomenon is that this is largely a Somali thing that has been happening since the 1980s. So basically since that country essentially collapsed when their longtime dictator died, there has been this like long elaborate human smuggling ring that has sort of come in through Latin America, up through the United States, and then often uh, across the Canadian border, often through the sort of the Winnipeg, uh, Minnesota border, which is where a lot of Somalis in America live. And this is like a long-running thing. It has to do with the way that Canada has sort of historically had uh, refugee policies that are seen as favorable specifically to Somali interests, having to do with the fact that we often historically have not deported people back to Somalia for various reasons. But anyway, like this is a very long and complicated, you know, multi-decade story that is not being reported as such. It is being reported as an explicit reaction to Donald Trump's inauguration and that sort of... Uh, you know, heroic uh, refugees from the United States of all sorts are fleeing rather than this being a rather narrow, very specific story. Well, you can push back on the south of the border side of it. I'll push back on the Canadian side. There's no question this is a reaction to Trump. Now, you're, you may be quite right that there's a lot of uh, historical precedent for this and there's a history to this in context. But whether you're looking at the huge uptick in people crossing these borders and, and the fact that they're crossing them in between the border posts, I mean, that's obviously about uh, and, and you know losing their fingers to frostbite to do so. That is an obvious reaction to the Trump Muslim ban. No, it's, it's not an obvious reaction at all, Jesse, because it's been happening for a very, very long time. And when you look at the people that have actually put some effort into reporting on this in, in a broader context, Context, you see that the the uptick in Somalis crossing the Canadian border has been happening for a very long time and has not happened in sync with any political developments in America. I mean, the 2015-2016 numbers were higher than the 2014-2015 numbers, which were higher than the, er, the year before that and higher than the year before that. Like this has been occurring at a steady upward clip for a very long time, and it has not unfolded in sync with with uh, American politics. The only thing that's unfolding in sync with American politics is the Canadian reporting. All right, let's hold on a second here, JJ. Now, my understanding, and you can disabuse me of all of my faulty notions after I've laid out for you my understanding of this, my understanding is that because of international agreements, any refugee who first arrived from their, the country that they're trying to get refugee uh, status away from, that they're endangered in, that they need protection from, if they come to America first and then they come into Canada, we will not even hear their case. 
And as a response to an atmosphere where anybody who is seeking asylum in the United mm -hmm. States would obviously feel that their chances have just taken a sharp tick yeah. downwards, given the new administration, in direct response to that, which they're telling us is why. They're saying that's why. Well, I think that's what their lawyers are saying. I, I don't know if that's actually uh, what they – I haven't seen a lot of interviews with the uh, refugees themselves. Well, I have no reason to believe that the reporters who are interviewing them are, are, are lying. They are directly saying when they're asked, why are you coming over here? They say it's because of Trump. And they are forced to cross at illegal – in between the actual official border crossings because Canada has chosen to honor those international agreements, which arguably Trump has discarded. But they are going – at great personal peril. They're risking their lives, their babies' lives. I mean, no question that a person has to be very desperate to do this in, this, in, the, in these temperatures. And they are coming in between because then Canada must first arrest them, but they will have the chance to file a refugee claim. What part of that do you butt up against? What part of that is not accurate? Well, just because, I mean, just because you can posit a theory of why you find this plausible doesn't necessarily mean that those are the facts on the ground. I mean, the fact is, like I said... No, 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 hold on. The, the, fa the facts are that the numbers have gone way up since Trump came in, into power and not in a way that is consistent with just a, a steady, consistent rate rise in that number. And they'll tell you it's because of Trump. Well, Why wouldn't that be true? I think that one of the bigger questions that we have to ask is why for so long Somali refugees have been doing this and why they are... They do not have faith in the U.S. system. And it is not always that they don't have faith in the U.S. system because, you know, evil old man Trump is at the head. Sometimes, you know, you've got people that, and this has been documented, sometimes there have been Somali refugees that have crossed into this country because they are wanted for security reasons in the United States. This has been happened repeatedly where they have crossed the border and then the, uh, the RCMP get a call from the FBI saying, hey, that guy who just crossed the border, you know, he was under investigation for security, uh, you know, concerns in the United States. Maybe you should take a look at him. And in Sometimes these people wind up in in uh, in detention centers in this country. Sometimes they're ordered deported from this country, although that is complicated because, as I said before, Canada has historically had a policy of not deporting people to Somalia because it's considered too much of a risk. So what I'm just saying is that there's a lot of very complicated factors going into this situation, which are not being reported by lazy reporters who just want to have a nice, tidy little story about moral Canada, immoral America. Of course, some people who claim refugee status have security concerns or criminal records. Okay, and how often have you seen that reported in any of the recent reporting? Never, never, ever, ever, ever. It's all just about, you know, the oh, the, the poor refugees, they're so sweet and so innocent and are coming here only for the most noble and, you know, pure of reasons. And, and who couldn't sympathize with wanting to escape that madman in, in the White House? It's irresponsible to report in this kind of, you know, cloying sort of pandering way. Particularly when we have so much recent evidence, none of which has been cited in any of the contemporary reporting, that, as I said, this is a long-standing phenomenon that has not had very much to do one way or another with American politics, although it does have something to do with Canadian uh, refugee policy. Oh, no, 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 way. Because you just, you just went from rational to crazy <laughs> in this interesting way that happens so frequently. It is an obviousity that in anybody claiming who wants to emigrate, any Canadian citizen, a certain percentage has a criminal record. Okay, so you had me there because that's just accurate. Okay, and then you say it's a phenomenon. It is not a phenomenon. It's not a phenomenon of criminal Somalis coming to Canada because they're trying to escape the law elsewhere. That's bullshit, man. Do you have anything to back that up? 
Well, then why do you think, well, then why do you think that they are often getting their refugee status denied in America? Why are they often getting their asylum status denied in America? Why were they getting their asylum status denied in America under Obama, right? Why is this? Why are they all fleeing to Canada? Why were they all fleeing to Canada under Obama? Why were they fleeing to Canada under Clinton? What is going on here? It's not just that America is universally a wicked country and Canada is a universally, uh, you know, virtuous country. There is clearly other factors at stake here. And it just bothers me that no one is willing to concede those. You're absolutely right that there is a mythology that we are going to accept and grant refugee status to these people because we're good and they're bad. Why, you ask? I mean, this is the problem. You've suggested a conclusion, an answer to that question. The reason why is this phenomenon of criminal Somalis. It's perfectly okay to ask the question of why they might be denied refugee status. That question has answers that are not necessarily having to do with an epidemic of Somali crime, unless you have some evidence that that's the case. Then let's look at those. It has to do with the quotas and the refugee systems of these respective countries. My suspicion is it has to do with the quotas that each country set for how many refugees, where they take refugees from, what kind of prejudices go into that, what what is required. We know in this country that we hold people for an insane amount of time. Children, people die waiting for to have their refugee claims heard. That's a great question. You're suggesting that no one's asking that question. I'm pretty sure that that's not so. Well, I, I'm not. So- I'm saying that I've I've read some reporting from recent years, from like 2014, 2015, and when before sort of Trump was the sort of desert machina to explain everything that was going wrong. And they often did notice that there was people that were crossing the Canadian border to escape criminal investigations of various sorts in the US. Or even, you know, and again, this is something that has to be stated, is that America has refugee policies. America has asylum policies. A lot of these Somali refugees, for whatever reason, and what I'm saying is that we should investigate those whatever reasons, were being denied the clemency that they sought from the U.S. system. And so unless you're just going to subscribe to a a sort of like bold conclusion that the American system is just without any merit whatsoever and that anybody that crosses the border on the grounds of like, well, the U.S. system screwed me, therefore, you know, Canada take me in. I think that we have to, you know, judge these people on a case by case basis, look into the background. And all I'm saying is that when you've looked at some of the recent reporting, there have been cases in which these people have not been quite as clean as, you know, Canadians would like to believe or at least a certain segment of Canadian reporters, it seems. I, look, look, you, you, you seem so upset and angry about this idea that we are going to somehow take the, uh, the their claim, their their uh, suspicious claim that they're motivated by Trump, and that's somehow going to influence their refugee claim. I don't think there's any reason to believe that we're... Like, there's, there's some suggestion that we're not going to look into their security background or their criminal background. I don't think you have anything there. And I, I, I want to impress upon you, this has an impact on real people. I think that, that we have to go to the end of these arguments. And Tony Clement was on uh, Daybreak, uh, CBC Radio in Montreal, and he was challenged. He was he was asserting that uh, there's a big problem here that we need to look into. And he was unwilling to take this to its natural conclusion. And he ultimately just hung up. I want to take a second to listen to what that sounded like. I'm not the government. The CBC is not the government. It's up to the you're, government. You're, but with, the with respect, you're the official opposition, and you're yeah. supposed to be coming up, up with solutions as well as just criticizing. Plan. So that's, you don't have any idea solution. how it should work. Sir, now you're putting words in my mouth. Well, then tell, the us, what, then tell us how it should work. Sir, I mean, it's a simple sir, question. We have a problem. It's simple. Apply the law. Well, how would, that, how would they apply the law? So would, they, would they stop them? Would they say, I'm sorry, you can't cross here and you should go back across the border? How would... So what what Tony Clement was asserting for the Conservative Party was that the Trudeau government needs to do something about these illegals coming illegally across our border. Well, what is that something? What is applying the law in this instance? And obviously what that means is we shouldn't even be arresting them and hearing the refugee claims. We should turn them away and say, do this legally. Legally is to come through the border crossing. That would mean turning away families in like sub-zero temperatures where people are losing like appendages to frostbite and sending them miles down the road. 
uh, so that they could be turned back to the United States. And Tony Clement uh, was not willing to be caught on tape saying that, but that's obviously where that was heading. And he just basically cut and run as, uh, as opposed to being held accountable to what he was suggesting. What do you suggest, J.J.? What, what, what should Canada do to all these people? Because uh, I, I think it does have to do with Trump. and I think we're going to see a huge spike this summer. Well, I mean, I think that you step up border security. I mean, I think that you have to enforce your borders. I mean, you don't have a country unless you have borders. I don't think it's the most unreasonable thing in the world to suggest that maybe some of the border security is kind of deficient in this country, particularly if these if these certain crossing points have been well-known illegal crossing points for decades. I mean, it seems to me rather inexcusable that we don't have more security there. I mean, what does know, security do if they're there? What does security do? I don't know. You escort them back into the United States. I don't know why that's so radical. I mean, you can... You because they could die. Because they could die. No, I mean, you You can – I mean, the problem is is that border crossing is this very like bizarre sort of uh, universe in, when it comes to international law. So it's like you want to detain these people correctly for humanitarian reasons. But it's like you cannot detain them on the Canadian side of the border because the second they touch Canadian soil, you know, they become part of our process and then they get constitutional rights and all the rest of it. But, you know – Oh, no. Well, no. I mean, this is – you know, it's an exploitation of the system, right? And you have to be sensitive to the fact that you cannot – have a, a country if you're just dealing with people that can just come over willy-nilly. I think that what you have to have is you have to have greater collaboration. They can't. No, you can't. I mean, you, well, I'm... It's incredibly hard. It's not willy-nilly. It's, these people came up through Guatemala, Mexico, through the United States, across the border, sub-zero temperature. They sit in cells for a year. Then maybe they get re- a, a refugee status. And then they're at the lowest rung of our society and they make this country. That's where my people come from. That's what our country is. What are you afraid of? <laughs> it's just like this phantom idea that they're all criminals. It's 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 really paranoid. It's not paranoid. I just think that it's not unreasonable to say that we should have some degree of border security in this country. Obviously, we do. Well, clearly not. They're Otherwise, this RCMP. wouldn't be happening for decades and decades. Clearly, there's some deficiency here. I'm just saying that you got to pick up the security a little bit. You got to figure out some sort of way that the U.S. and American authorities can cooperate so that the system that exists, and I think this is what Tony Clement was trying to get at, is that there is a system of laws. And frankly, it's insulting to all the people that come to this country legally to say that some people can get, you know, a, a fast track if they just break the law. That is, I think, very offensive to a lot of people that have made the long bureaucratic slog to cross the border, to fill out all the papers, to plan this, you know, years in advance in their home country or whatever, to say, oh, well, actually, if you just sort of like traipse across the border, then suddenly you're no, you know, we're going to get the the lantern jaw smiling guy to, you know, escort your children and, you know, give you a cup of coffee or whatever. I mean, that's... How dare they traipse across the border? They're offending JJ's sense of fairness. No, I'm offending my sense of... They're jumping the It is offending my sense of the law, Jesse. I mean, I know this is an unfashionable concept these days, but we do have laws for a reason, presumably, and we enforce these laws because there should be one standard of conduct. For people that want to come as refugees, for people that want to come as immigrants, you know, you cannot just have a blind, open borders anything goes, anyone can come sort of policy. Then you don't have a country anymore. We're a nation of laws. But and I don't we think don't it's... have that. All right. I'm done all with right, you on right, this right. one. Let's move on. We, uh, that's, it's just crazy. Mm. It's crazy, man. We have a system. It's not a great well, and one. And it's not being followed. Yes, it is. They're being arrested and they're put into, det- into detention. And most of them aren't getting the status. Okay. Let's look, move on to less contentious topics. Let's talk about Milo. Okay. Here's the one that finally did him in. It, it sounds yeah, well, like you know what? it you sounds know what? like I'm Catholic priest molestation to me. And you know what? I'm grateful for Father Michael. I wouldn't give nearly such good head if it wasn't for him. <laughs> you are you are advocating for cross generational relationships here. Can we can we be honest about that? 
Yeah, I don't mind saying I don't mind admitting that, and I think particularly in the gay world and outside the Catholic Church, if that's where some of you want to go with this, I think in the gay world, some of the most important, enriching, and incredibly um, you know life affirming, important, uh, shaping relationships very often between uh, younger boys and older men can they can be hugely positive experiences for those young boys. They can you even know, um... save those young boys from. Desolation. Okay, JJ, that was the unearthed clip from Milo Yiannopoulos on a podcast that uh, some Reagan conservative group was dug it up. And it, it seemed like it was a, a chain reaction following his appearance on Bill Maher. And that led to this, uh, which led to, I think, the undoing, as far as we can tell so far, of, of Milo. He was dropped from a high-profile CPAC speech he was going to give. He lost his book deal. He resigned from Breitbart under pressure from people there. This was the straw. What do you think? Yeah, well, I mean, I think as far as straws go, it was an appropriate one. I mean, it is quite grotesque, I think, the sort of things that he was describing. And as well, just, you know, as a gay man myself, I, I do find it offensive that he was purporting to sort of speak on behalf of, of the community to pretend that that these sort of intergenerational romances as he as he chose to frame it was in some ways a this like very common mainstream thing. I think frankly that that is a very harmful stereotype to perpetuate the idea that that gay men have a great interest or a sort of ingrained habit of of sort of uh, preying on, you know, teenagers in their very young years. He was talking Milo was talking explicitly about like, you know, 13, 14 year olds. I find it I find it gross. I find it offensive. And frankly, you know, I found Milo to be that way for quite some time. I mean, I have never really been a big fan of I mean, I consider myself a conservative, a man of, of the right, but I have never been uh, fond of his sort of flavor of this, the kind of like, how much can I piss people off? How much can I sort of, you know, quote unquote, trigger people? And yeah, I I, th I think he learned a lesson that you can only be outrageous for for so long before it sort of consumes you, basically. You know what? I, I am going to risk all sorts of uh, <laughs> of angry response here and say, like, on the scale of awful things that Milo has said, that one was like, on the Milo scale, like a six for me. And it was a little bit, I don't know, I'm going to say surprising, but I think kind of revealing that that's the one that did him in. Because really, his position was that as a survivor of pedophilia, as it is criminally described, he's speaking from the point of view of somebody who has survived this. And I think that he was advocating for a certain amount of nuance to say, look, we, we have a very rigid idea of victimization. And there are young people who will say that when they were coming out of the closet alone, some relationship with an older man was actually positive for them. And they felt like they had consent. And he also says, if you listen to all of it, that he feels like, yeah, the law does have to draw a line. And, and, and it's about right where we draw the line of what a minor is. He doesn't really get into the idea that, you know, you can't really give consent at that age. And he wasn't really pushing back at the idea that, that this should be criminalized. But he was introducing something that I think a, a nuanced conversation about sexuality can include, which mm. is that that it, it is possible for somebody. You can't tell somebody how they're supposed to feel or that they need to feel victimized. If he's saying, well, I didn't and other well, people didn't, you know, I thought it, it was really interesting that this was the third rail. That was like a six for me on the Milo scale. Well, and it, it was interesting to me that this is a guy who explicitly incited abuse and harassment of Leslie Jones. And that wasn't the thing. This is an abstract idea he was introducing about, about these cross-generational relationships, pedophilia, as you will. Leslie Jones is a human being who he hurt, who he was retweeting lies about her and inciting a mob of angry people to hurt her, to harm her. That wasn't enough to get him kicked off of the team, but this one was a bridge too far. 
Yeah, well, I mean, like, I'm not, I'm not in the business of defending Milo. I mean, if he had been canned from good graces, a few offensive comments previously, I wouldn't be shedding any tears from him either. I mean, I, I don't think he should have been banned from Twitter per se, although it is a private company has the right to do what it was. But the thing is that, you know, there are some topics in which there is just really nothing to be gained by expressing any nuance because the topic is so radioactive and the emotions are so high. And I think correctly so. And one of them is the topic. Anything that begins to sniff of, of pedophilia or the sexualization of minors, no matter how nuanced you want to be about it, no matter how intellectual and abstract you want to get on, be on it, it is just not a topic that is worth waiting in. I mean, we've seen examples of this in, in this country. What was the name of that that Harper guy, uh, Flanagan, right? He he uh, wrote an essay or something sort of attempting to put a fine point on uh, Tom Flanagan. Uh, he made remarks in a classroom about uh, the yeah, definition. That's right. Yeah, that's right. And, and Barbara Emile, you may recall, she wrote something, I believe, for McLean's a while ago that uh, tried to put some nuance on the topic as well and, and was, was soundly condemned for it. It's just not a topic that's worth wading into. And frankly, I think it is much more a reflection on, on Milo's vanity than anything else, is that he has been such an incredibly vain person for such a long time. He's believed that he is above the fray, that he can speak in a kind of free association way on any topic that he wants to, and that there will never be any backlash to it. And if there is any backlash to it, it is all just coming from like the irrational haters of the far left. And I think that he's learned a lesson that there we do, in fact, still, thank God, have some taboos. And, and you know, you can argue that perhaps the, the fact that this was the ultimate taboo that killed him was a somewhat arbitrary one. But I, I do think that we have to view this as something uh, anybody that has hated what Milo represents has to view this as something of a vic- of uh, for decorum and, and standards. I don't think it's arbitrary. It was pointed out when when Milo was going after a black woman, it was different than when he was essentially going after children because we all recognize the humanity of children. So I don't think it was arbitrary. I think it was a reflection of the rights uh, standards about who they care about and who they don't. As to your point that this is such a radioactive topic that we, we can't even bring it up or there's no room for nuance in it, I don't know about that either. I don't know. I mean, like, do you think that this is really like uh, the, the – the most important conversation to be having, that we need to sort of uh, understand the sexualization of, of, of minors in a more nuanced way. Like this just does not seem to me that a, a conversation that is addressing any pressing need whatsoever and can frankly only evolve into very destructive and, and harmful ways. I, I think that uh, discussion and nuance is welcome on any, on any topic and that's nuance is not something that Milo provides. So I'm not shedding any tears over, over his undoing over this one, but I think it's worth having a look at. This show is sponsored by BetterHelp, therapy online that has served over 3 million people around the world, and BetterHelp is available here in Canada. A lot of people have various blocks or reasons why they don't just reach out for that help. And one thing you'll hear people say is they just don't have the time. I would like to mount a different uh, argument here, which is that if you are talking to a mental health professional, if you're if you're chatting with somebody about your life and about your priorities, you can clear away a lot of the clutter. You can actually find yourself with more time because you have a better sense of what's important to you. Like it's an investment that can pay off even in that practical way of, of organizing your life a bit better. These are some of the advantages in, in the long run of having something like BetterHelp in your life. As the largest online therapy provider in the world, BetterHelp can provide access to mental health professionals with a wide variety of expertise in mental health. And because you listen to the show, you get 10% off of your first month at betterhelp.com slash Once again, it's betterhelp.com 
slash CanadaLand. This episode is brought to you by AG1. Listen, taking care of your health is not always easy, but it should at least be simple. That is why for months now, I start every day by drinking AG1. I take a scoop of this green powder, I mix it in a canister with water, shake it up, and I drink it. I get hydrated and I get energized and focused and ready to take on the day knowing that I have vitamins, minerals, pre and probiotics, and a lot more. These are things that science tells us we need. They are also things that I don't necessarily get every day outside of my AG1. Listen, if there's one product that I'm going to recommend that will help you elevate your health, it's AG1. And that is why I have been partnered up with them for so long. If you want to take ownership of your health, it starts with AG1. Try it now and you'll get a free welcome kit that includes a shaker bottle, canister, a metal scoop, along with five free travel packs. You'll get a free one-year supply of vitamin D3 and K2 along with your first purchase. Go to drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. That is drinkag1.com slash CanadaLand. Check it out. JJ? Yes, sir. Now is the time on our program where we thank our second sponsor, FreshBooks. FreshBooks is wonderful for freelancers such as yourself, small businesses such as CanadaLand. If you need to send invoices, bills to anybody... If you need to keep track of your finances, keep track of your time, send expenses, if you don't have an accounting department, then FreshBooks will take care of that for you. And it is incredibly easy to use, stupid easy to use. Saves you time, JJ. It gets you back to whatever it is that you do, whatever it is that I do. Uh, We'll be doing more of it because of FreshBooks and it gets us paid quicker. People, you can try FreshBooks out for free for 30 days. You don't need a credit card to do so. When you do decide to become a customer, tell them that Canada Land sent you. Go right now to freshbooks.com slash CanadaLand. Later, tell them that CanadaLand sent you. You'll be doing the show a favor. Thank you, FreshBooks. JJ, we're going to take a moment to note duly some things that need to be duly noted. Care to go first? Uh, Sure. I was just looking at this interesting uh, study that the CBC did uh, a couple of days ago in which they were documenting how often... MPs break with their party bosses, basically vote against the the consensus view of the party. And uh, there was a study that was done on this in the Globe and Mail uh, a couple of years ago, and they found that the most deviant MP voted with his party 99% of the time. So this was the most rebellious MP still voted with his party 99% of the time. Luckily, we've got that number down a little bit. And now the most rebellious MP, who is a liberal named Nathaniel uh, Ernstein-Smith, only votes with his party 87% of the time. So we are making great, uh, great strides in, uh, in backbencher independence in this country. I was, just, I was just thinking about this because, you know, in, in the regards to some of the, the Trump stuff and all the rest of it, I, I see on Facebook people it's like, write your MP, write your MP. And it's like people often don't realize just what a fool's errand this is. You know, what the party boss wants is how your MP is going to vote in clearly the vast majority of the time. Duly noted. I got one that my colleague Russell Gregg brought to my attention, which is the this uh, this poor bus driver in Winnipeg was murdered on the job. And all the press in Winnipeg, I think with the exception of the CBC, went with the story. Here's the headline. Winnipeg transit driver was facing serious criminal charges prior to his death. And we've learned a lot about the criminal accusations against the victim, murder victim, and sort of one of these kind of maybe somewhat academic trade questions of like, how relevant is it? to report on the criminal past of a victim of a crime when that criminal past or alleged criminal past is completely seemingly unrelated to the crime that they are a victim of, because it really does read like, here's a reason to not care about this murder victim. Duly noted. I have uh, endured you and now I'm going to ask you to endure me. I'm going back in time here to 
it seems like eons ago, and uh, the discussion about it has sort of trailed off, but this anti-M103, I'll call it an anti-Muslim rally that uh, the rebel that Israel went through here in Toronto, I want to get a little bit granular about what went down between Ezra and I as a result of what was happening there, because I haven't done that yet on this show. So I'm following along at home. Our editor, Jonathan Goldsby, is at this thing, and he's live tweeting it, and I'm following him, and I'm following other journalists who are there. And Hillary Beaumont, who has been on Canada Land, I don't really know her personally. I know her from her appearances on the show, and I know her from her work, and I consider her to be a, a pretty top-notch reporter. She tweets, I just saw somebody give a Nazi salute. Ezra shoots back immediately at her on Twitter, liar, liar. And that's when I stumbled into this because he didn't say Nazis are not welcome here. Show me where this supposedly happened. He didn't even say what he usually says, but prove it. His immediate response was liar. And I don't want to have a big discussion about M103 right now, JJ, but I I just want to talk about like where the discourse is going and what's becoming acceptable. To call a reporter a liar, the meaning of that is that she knew that it was like she just fabricated it. It was an intentional misrepresentation. She just out of whole cloth, she lied. And that's not what happened, okay? Photos eventually surfaced. The first photo is a hand from afar and the hand does appear to be making some gesture that is consistent with what you, like it's just obviously you you could think that that was a Nazi salute. And then photos closer that I think were also later, the hand seems to change and now it's a Hunger Games salute. And then Ezra was quick to say, look, it's a Chinese guy in a kilt giving a three-finger Hunger Games salute, which if anything just shows that she was wrong, maybe, that she was confused but that she did not lie because lying is a very specific thing. And when you're talking about a reporter, that is essential to how they make a living. And I, I, it's a standard that we used to uphold. It's, we have discussions about this with politicians say things. Do we call them a liar or not? Or do we say they misspoke or what they said is, is factually incorrect? There's a million terms that we use to mitigate it before we call somebody a liar. It's the first thing that Ezra said. And I think he's harder on, on female reporters than he is male. Uh, he never goes after me with that kind of a fervor and you know i came back well, and that's that's not that's not exactly true what about that letter he sent you oh well what did he call me in that one he 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 said that i can't hold on like it was weird it was like i can't hold on to my women it was like uh my like no he, is that you're like a fake feminist mansplainer or something along those lines wasn't it yeah, so you're referring to uh, uh, another story that came out of that event where uh, a reporter, Evan Balgord, working with uh, with uh, Jonathan Goldsby here, found out that at that event, Ezra was saying, you know, we had to move venues because we received death threats at the old venue. The old venue received these death threats. And then Faith Goldie said we received death threats. And then they passed a bucket around and raised money because they needed security on the basis of these death threats. And Evan Balgord called the first venue and said, did you guys receive death threats? And the first venue said, no. Not to our knowledge, there's no death threats. We don't agree with this. We weren't comfortable having this uh, this rally here. And, and I think this the suggestion was that the first venue had a diverse staff and they didn't want to host this, this event. So there's no proof um, to throw it back at Ezra, who has actually challenged other people who said that they received death threats. Haley Germain at a previous uh, rebel rally said that she received death threats. And again, he called her a liar. In this case, it was Ezra saying he received death threats. There's no proof of that, and he raised money on the basis of it. So when Evan Balgord, our reporter, went to him for comment, he he made an ad hominem attack on me and my mansplaining and stuff about all sorts of unrelated things. 
anyhow, JJ, I, I just feel like the way in which the discourse slips into a place where it's okay to just throw up liar is when people don't bring it up and challenge him on it. And uh, I feel like, you know, it's also something that you don't do because you get sued. And I think that he's strategic in who he calls a liar based on people who are unlikely to sue him. And I'm just wondering, you know, like, you know, you're, you're, you're a conservative, JJ. I, I, I don't know. Have you ever worked for The Rebel? No. In fact, I've, I've, I've quite uh, conspicuously refused uh, public offers from Ezra to, to join The Rebel because it's, it's not exactly my cup of tea. But I, I will say one thing, though, that I, I think is, is – is if we're going to be slinging blame, it, I think we should be slinging blame on both sides. I mean I think it was Gavin McInnes who had this line where he said that the demand for Nazis greatly exceeds the supply. So there is clearly a desire. And you saw this certainly with the uh, – if you look at the Vice sort of photo essay that they did in their coverage of, of the rally, every person who like so much as raises their hand above their shoulder is photographed you know, a, a thousand times from a dozen angles because we have to get some sort of damning footage that proves that this thing reinforces all of our suspicions about, you know, the the neo-Nazi white supremacists, uh, you know, current that is just bubbling below the surface of anyone who expresses any criticism whatsoever of uh, anything to do with with Muslims or or Islam. And so, like, that to me is just as much of a as a journalistic sin as anything that's going on from from Ezra, frankly. Mm -hmm. I mean, I think that if we're going to have a conversation about like the sort of the terrible polarized climate that we're living in, we have to acknowledge that the way that people like Ezra are responding is not occurring in a vacuum. He's not paranoid for no reason. There is a long history of, of sort of center left journalists who are eager, eager, eager to portray conservative critics and certainly conservative critics of, of Islam or immigration or anything sort of associated with those issues in the worst, most unflattering and often unfair possible light. I think I think you're right. And I think I'm one of those journalists who is overeager. I think that it, it's a distraction. When the first photo popped up of the hand, I said, well, this does seem like somebody. Uh, is this your boy, Ezra? This seems like somebody throwing up a Nazi salute. And suddenly the, the discourse became about whether or not people were sieg hailing at this event. It was an unnecessary distraction because there were plenty of people saying, I want to be free to hate Islam. And there are people who are terribly misinformed about, you know that motions are non-binding. The, the Quebec legislature denounced you with the motion. Was that the first step to an anti-JJ law? I don't think so. No, but it was a clearly an effort. It was clearly an effort to intimidate me. I mean, I think that that goes with it. Oh, yeah. Saying. And it's unacceptable. It's unacceptable for the legislature to be singling out a journalist. I, I'll, I'll be the first to denounce them for <laughs> denouncing you. You know, th th there have been numerous motions against anti-Semitism, against Islamophobia in the past, against anti-Italian sentiment. And to be doing this, the Seagal thing is a total distraction. I, 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 I feel like I shouldn't have waded into it because this is gross, man. Like we all remember the Birmingham church bombing like 40, 50 years ago where four people lost their lives. We're only a few weeks away from a mosque shooting where six people lost their lives. And we're, and we're debating whether M103 is going to curtail people's freedom of speech to, to, to hate Islam, which it won't. It's gross. People should be ashamed. And what I want to ask you as a conservative who has a conscience and doesn't want to associate with the rebel, I, I maybe for some of the same things that I'm pointing out, what do you have to say about these like, you're a liar? I mean, maybe it's just the other side of the, of, of the left-leaning media pointing out these Nazi salutes, but it feels a little bit more personal, on a personal attack level, damning and libelous to me. Do you feel any responsibility to try to like maintain some kind of like level of discourse to not fall into? Is that why you're resisting working with them? Let, like, let me not put words in your mouth and ask you, why don't you? Well, work I mean, with them? like, you know, Ezra can defend himself and the word choices he uses. I mean, I'm not his lawyer and, you know, he's a big boy. He can stand up for himself. And it sounds like he, he has in the past. I mean, all I can say is that I personally find the sort of liberal journalists attempt to 
cast everyone that is somewhat off the like progressive script when it comes to issues relating to Islam and Muslims and terrorism and whatnot as Nazis and white supremacists and yada, yada, yada. I do personally find that more offensive than Ezra calling a reporter a liar for misrepresenting something that happened at his event. I honestly do. And I'm sorry if that, you know, puts me on, on your wrong side, but that's something that I, I just feel. I mean, the reason why I'm... That's not what I asked. No, I mean, that's you not asked me I why, I'm not, mean, like, the, why I'm, I'm not part of the rebel. I mean, I just feel that they're a little bit too one note for my tastes, you know? And, you know, like, I think that there is, there are lots and lots of legitimate questions to be asked about radical Islam and, you know, moderate Islam and the intersection of them and, you know, to what extent one ends and the other begins and yada, 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 and, you know, various dysfunctions within the broader Middle East and Muslim culture. And, like, I think all of these things are perfectly valid questions to ask. And I think you can ask them and inquisit about them without being Islamophobic, which is this broad, I think, quite useless term that is bandied about in so many arbitrary ways to encompass so many different people. Now, that being said, I think it is possible that you can go too far. I think it is possible that you can be sort of monomaniacal about the Muslim threat and like a radical jihadist under every bed. And I think that in the grand scheme of things, the rebel probably does tilt too much in that direction, which I think is partially a reflection of the fact that that they have to pander to a global audience. This is a very hot topic right now internationally. It's very difficult for a Canadian website to make success simply talking about Canadian politics and in a Canadian context. So I think that they've sort of decided that the way that they're going to make money, the way that they're going to make their business model is going to be based around, you know, the whipping up fear about the Muslim threat. I don't think everything that they raise concern about is illegitimate, but I do think that they're a little too one note in the context of the kind of issues and stuff that I want to talk about. And frankly, I just don't think professionally it would benefit fit my career to be associated with that particular brand. Yeah, fair enough. And that one note that they hit, they, they hit it on the backs of a vast swath of the population. I mean, ultimately, it's got to be about people. And like, yeah, ask your questions about radical Islam in Canada. It's not like nobody's asking those questions. But if you can ask those questions, you might get answers. And the answers might be that it hasn't really been a big problem here. JJ, I got to ask you before we like, I, I, I appreciate you coming on the show and, and, and talking with me about this stuff. You know, you're, you're a lot of what you're talking about these days. And, and, uh, you know, I, I respect that you're trying to find a, doesn't seem like you're just joining the bandwagon because it's, uh, it's, it's in fashion right now. You're trying to find a, a space for yourself. that's true to what, what, what you think you're very quick to, to defend, uh, Donald Trump. And, and, uh, I just want to know, like, is there a voice within like deep within that's maybe just trying to peek up from your subconscious and just like, just war- like, is there any suspicion that like civilization might be a boulder that's rolling downwards, veering towards a cliff and maybe your efforts are like, like a pinky, just like a little pinky that's pushing it pushing it to work. Like, are you worried you're on the wrong side of things? Does that keep you up at night? This is, this is, this is the classic sort of liberal line where people that think differently than me must not only have a different point of view, but in some respects must be sort of psychologically damaged or, or have some sort of psychological problem. No, that's I mean, not what I asked that's no. what you're asking. You're asking that like, I, I must have like some sort of deep moral conscious, you know, uh, thing keeping me up at night, as you just said, because I happen to have a slightly different perspective on you, which is that, you know, for whatever uh, problems there are with with Donald Trump as a person and with his government in in general, I I don't happen to view the world as ending. I I honestly don't, because perhaps I just don't consume a media diet that is constantly full of left-wing journalists telling me about how, you know, Steve Bannon is going to establish the Fourth Reich and, you know, every last little executive order is the downfall of humanity as we know it. I just don't. I mean, just like how when we were talking about the Somalia thing, I try to take a broader view of history and a broader view 
of, of the news. And I try to get away from this conception that through some gigantic sort of cosmic coincidence, I, J.J. McCullough, happen to be living at the end of civilization as we know it. I just happen to have been born into the most fascinating era of human history that has ever existed, in which the stakes have never been higher, in which the tensions have never been more extreme. I just reject that. And in fact, when people are that hysterical, that is when my guard goes up the most. And if I do seem like I'm unjustifiably defensive about Donald Trump, it's only because I'm doing it in the context of a hysteria on the other side that I feel a need to push against. I appreciate you pushing against my hysteria today, JJ. Thank you again. Thanks for having me, Jesse. That is your Canada Land Shortcuts. Hope you enjoyed it. You can email me anytime. I'm at jesse at canadalandshow.com. We are on Twitter at Canada Land. JJ, where can people hear more from you? Uh, on jjmccullough.com. Uh, although increasingly, they should check out the Washington Post, where I'm writing a lot of uh, columns for them in, in recent uh, weeks, and I plan to continue doing so. Our website is canadalandshow.com. Our crowdfunding site is patreon.com slash canadaland. Russell Gregg is the producer of this show. The show is also made available to community and campus radio stations across this country. If you like what we do, please support us. Thank you.